Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Dr. Philander. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? It's so great to connect with you finally. <laughs> I'm doing well, man. Just relax and relax. That's important. Uh, well, welcome to our podcast, Journey of an Aesthete. Thanks. Uh, we're doing the show now, and you're you're on it. You're the guest. Oh, hi. Um, how you doing? How you doing? You know, a lot of our guests. I'm going to speak a little bit up front, not too long, not too much. But a lot of our a lot of our guests recently have been multi talented. People that people that do the more than one thing. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. and the other thing too is that some of some of my guests are people that I know personally. And then some 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 guests I've never met in my life. <laughs> okay. And then there are folks like you who I guess are somewhere in the middle, because I was just um I guess I, I guess you sent me your music. That's how we met, correct? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I sent one of my tracks to you. Mm-hmm. And I was totally unprepared for that. I didn't know, you know, I was just, I know you enjoy hearing about this. I didn't know what I was doing, and, and um, it just popped up in my chat box, I think, on, on, the, on, on the FB. Oh, okay. That's okay. what I call it. I call it the FB. That sounds a little, I like the way that sounds better than Facebook. So on the FB, right. I, saw your, I saw your little icon, and I saw this, this uh, spiritual song right uh by end and it sounded great i thought well this this sounds like uh could almost be george duke or something i thought this is this is um <laughs> i wasn't expecting that at all and so all right. I, I, all I, right. I really enjoyed it on the basis of that i chatted with you and found out that you're in medicine and 
you've done all these things. So, you know, typically on our show, we go into a little personal biography. Okay. And in your case, that's considerable. So do you mind starting from the beginning and explaining how you got into these two, two careers or three careers or everything you did? Um, yeah, it, it started off uh, in the church, of course. I was doing gospel um, in the 60s uh, at Fisher Baptist Church. It was on the west side of Chicago. Yeah. And um, my family and I, we lived in the projects uh, off of diversity in Levitt. Okay, I know. And we was, oh, yeah, we would take like five or six buses uh, just to get to church. And um, I was singing in the angelic choir, the youth choir, like seven years old, six year olds. And uh, we would go to BTU every Sunday with my mother and father. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it really started in the 60s. And then um, my brothers and I, we were taking music lessons at Lion and Healy's. Oh, um, you know, downtown. Yeah. Uh, my brother Dirk, he was a guitar player, and I would just, you know, speculate. I would just say, you know, I'd like to try to play that. And my other brothers, uh, Chris and Cassandra, my sister, were playing the drums and violin respectively. So um, we would go down there at least twice mm-hmm. a week down the high line in Hilly downtown, mm-hmm. and um, taking lessons, you know, just basic music lessons, and then. Um, come back and sing in the choir every uh, three days a week. Wow. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, it was a, uh, they pounded us with religion. And, and you know, they, they give you a lot of morals that we learned throughout life. Back in the, back in the day, we didn't know it was coming, but, right. you know, now I, now I apply all that that I learned, even as a six-year-old. I remember stuff like that, you know, the do's and don'ts and stuff right. like that my parents taught me. Right. Um, then, um, Probably, I think I was about 10 or 11. I was in fifth grade, and one of the things is I uh, had cancer. Um, it was a childhood cancer called Ewing sarcoma. And um, hmm. it was a very serious illness. I almost died. Uh, we had to have a major surgery, uh, resection of my chest wall, and I went through chemo chemotherapy and radiation for about three or four years. I think I was a sophomore. When I, when I was really cured of cancer, wow. um, that was at Loyola Hospital in Maywood. Uh, Dr. Harry Messmore was my uh, hematologist, oncologist. And um, basically, you know, I just went through the motions. You know, when chemo was over, I went back out and played like the other kids um, after the chemo sessions. And um, I, um, I was real cured in 76. And um, at that time, when I was going through chemo and radiation and stuff like that, I would be in the basement at Loyola going through nuclear medicine. I would count the dots in the ceilings and try to apply music to the dots because there were squares. So I would try to apply a, just, you know, just a way of escaping, you know, the uh, realities of, uh, of the cancer that I had. I didn't know how serious it was, but it's very serious. So, you know, 10, 11 year old, I want to get out and play. So I, yeah. Played played baseball on a baseball team. I played basketball. I knew like Doc Rivers and all. And we were all kids on the baseball team. And um, life goes on, you know. So um, only a few of my friends knew that I had the surgery. Mm-hmm. Then when I got to high school, I was in um I was in a special ed gym because my mother made me wear a, a protective brace for my spine or whatever it was. And I was like, absolutely not because I'm not going to eat back in 1975. So I'm not going to be yeah. you know, uh, uh, biased or even discriminated because the other kids were normal and I wanted normalcy. Yeah. So, um, 
I was still going to chemotherapy uh, mm. twice a week, then once a week at Loyola, then Rush. And then I got on the baseball team. I made the baseball team. I played basketball. Wow. I was in the martial arts. Everything my parents told me not to do. Of course, I'm a teenager. So um, do, do I mind, rebelled. Do you mind sorry. if I, I, I'm sorry, hold that thought. I wanted to rewind just a little bit and ask you yeah. a little bit more questions because there's so much here you're getting into. I don't, I, don't okay. think you, I, don't think, I don't think you realize how interesting this is, all this is to me. Now, you're, you're in Chicago at the height, the peak of great American music, 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so we have to talk about that at some point. But also, oh, yeah. you're undergoing an experience many children and teens don't go through. And I, and of course, I, of I imagine it's um, – but you're also finding the ability to do martial arts and sports – yeah. So yeah. talk a little bit about that 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 process or that um you know that's really something to me. Well, I had a lot of brothers and siblings and they were supportive and some of my friends um uh, my friend he just passed Victor Harris, but they yeah. were surrounding us and they really didn't know what was going on so I hung with them. So we all grew up together as one and uh they were really yeah. supportive and then um I was taking um, Taekwondo with Kevin McClinton. He's deceased by, right now. He's passed on. He had uh, cancer, brain cancer. But um, he would, you know, we would go through the uh, katas and we would do the sparring and all that. I had to wear my brace that protected my uh, the chest area where I had the surgery. But I was just as good as anybody else. So, uh, you know, despite that, you know, despite what was going on, I, uh, I continued my martial arts. And then... Um, and then my sports, that really helped me. Uh, that was an escape route, you know, playing baseball and basketball, mm-hmm. you know, because I would get out of chemo. And I really wanted to get outside because uh, the chemo, you could taste the medication. It was then Kristen and Adriamycin. You could taste it once it hit your veins. And uh, the nausea and the um, lightheadedness, the side effects that it really caused, I can really feel for my patients now because it's basically the same stuff, a lot less toxic, but... Uh, it was a very toxic dose of uh, medication, but it was there to kill the cancer, and that was the overall drive for it, the overall the overall use for the chemo. So, um, so, w- so I did go through that. When you went through this, was it were you getting inspired? I know you wanted to do music, but so w- were these experiences making you want to heal other people or think about yeah, one of the medicine? Go or- ahead. Well, I didn't know what a doctor was at that time. I, was, I think I was 11, and I know the guys in the white coat yeah. were the ones that were saving me, so I wanted to have my white coat. Um, Marcus Welby, MD, used to come on. I said I want to be like that. Yeah. Uh, Do- Doogie Hauser, same thing. Yeah. But uh, my teachers in high school, um, and even in grade school, they kind of discouraged an African-American to try to become a doctor, because that's what it was. It was a doctor, and I didn't know the name as a mm. physician or anything like that. Uh, they really discouraged me to do that, and uh, my grade point average reflected that because I, I really wasn't interested in school, but I know I wanted, you know, to become a physician or somebody that cares for people. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got a little older, you know, I said this is what I want to do. Um, I went to Triton College. I was studying classical guitar, classical music with wow. Dr. Uh, Schlabach and uh, Dr. Um, uh, what is his name? I mean, the name's just like uh, Michael Adamczyk. He was my uh, classical guitar instructor. Mr. Salati was my music theory, sight singing, and ear training guy. And I still wanted to be a doctor, but I was doing music major. And I got a little older. You know, time went on. I got married. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, the kids came and I said, um, uh, my grade point average finally started picking up. I went away to Warburg College, came back because I couldn't afford it in Waverly, Iowa. I was pre-med there and then I came back to Triton College. Wow. Uh, then, then I became a registered nurse. I, I went through the program at the same time as going to University of Illinois trying to, you know, do pre-med. And then, like I said, I got married and that slowed a lot of things down, mm-hmm. almost to a stop. But then I started practicing nursing. So uh, wow. that led from one thing to another. But the drive was still there. I'm really driven because um, I started understanding what I really wanted to do mm-hmm. in life. So, so you were saying, so I get, getting back to, we, again, we winded a little bit. You were said you were discouraged um, yeah. by society and, and by, uh, the, I guess, the injustices of society, pre- prejudices. Oh, yeah. Right. And um, at the same time, there's probably was some things that were the opposite of that, that were inspirational to you. Of course. And especially right. in Chicago, because, I mean, you know, music. Right. I mean, I, I'm wondering who you come up, come and con, uh, excuse me, come across uh, people like James Mack and Ramsey Lewis, and that, you know, that whole Ramsey. Well, Ramsey Lewis's father was our choir director at Friendship Baptist Church. It was um, Professor Ramsey Lewis, or Dr. Ramsey Lewis. I forgot his real name, but it was Professor Ramsey Lewis. He was our choir director mm-hmm. at uh, Friendship, and you know, like I said, I was just following suit. I would play the guitar every weekend or on Sundays at BTU. Mm-hmm. And um, I first song I did learn on the acoustic, uh, John Denver, Sunshine on My Shoulders. That's a beautiful I did song. my own version. Love that song. <laughs> I'd actually love to hear you do that right now. I mean, not this not this second, but I imagine you do a good, oh. good version of that. I'd like to hear that sometime. <laughs> I, I got That's a guitar wonderful. somewhere. Yeah, I, I got a guitar somewhere in my apartment. Oh, uh, yeah, John Denver and... Um, I got into a rock band. We did Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Um, you know, Line Line. They don't know what I know, all that yeah. stuff. And um, as I got a little older, I used to do Mr. Magic with a friend of mine, uh, Jerry Winston. Right. It was at a couple of luau's, and we did the band thing, jam, uh, battle of the bands at Triton and stuff like that. Mm. So you knew, Ramsey, and, um, you knew Ramsey Lewis's dad. So, there's a, so that's really, um, that's the connection there in terms of music history in Chicago, you know. Chicago. Uh, yeah, he was a very, he was a very stern gentleman. He was the choir director. And um, matter of fact, Ramsey looks just like him. I never got a chance to meet Ramsey himself, but um, um, Professor Lewis, about, Ramsey Lewis was our choir director. And um, as life went on, I was doing some blues. So I met a gentleman named Billy Davenport. He was with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Yep. And I, I did some recording with him before he passed in 96. Yeah. And um, he, was a, he was a humble gentleman. He was a phenomenal uh, drummer. And I was honored to have recorded with him. I met Buddy Guy at Buddy wow. Guy's Legend. Uh, Johnny Johnson, the keyboard player. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Vavino, he was one of the uh, guitar players from Conan, the Conan show. Um, a lot of the guys I ran across, you know, during just their venues and me sitting in with them. I was excited, you know, just to do some things with them. So, I, I guess you've had had many lives because you you were doing this, but also you found found time to become a registered nurse, which is, um, I have to say, that's a really big deal. Don't you know, people out there don't stop? That's, <laughs> I, I think becoming an RN is maybe about as hard as becoming a surgeon, you know, and probably. Um, well, I was. 
I don't know if I was eccentric or anything, but it was really easy to become a registered nurse. Um, huh. I was a trauma nurse at the county. I was in the front room a lot back in 1991. Uh, I yeah. started at Loyola um, in the ICU, CCU, and I got a year experience, came to, to the county, to trauma. It was so, it was a horrible experience watching our young kids get, you know, murdered and stuff like that. And uh, we would be in the front room trying to save them. There was no avail. So I started writing about that, um, that experience. And then um, I was uh, working with a guy named Derek Lyons and I would just write stuff. Like I was tripping in the hood one day, my little brother's parents started to say, help me get me off the crack because my mind is going to snap. So I held our hand out anyway. It was along a very tedious road to the rehab back and forth, you know, but with a little faith in love and with the man from up above, my little brother sisters don't use drugs. That was one of my songs. Uh, oh, wow. Don't use coke, it'll make you choke. Um, I did anti-gun tracks, anti-drug uh, tracks that was featured on WGCI and stuff like that. Oh, that's but, uh, in Chicago. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Fantastic. Wanted to, that's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this, and, uh, makes, this makes me so happy. You have no idea. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, do, you, do you mind if I ask you a technical question about some of these tracks? When you, oh, were, no, go ahead, yeah. when you were going in the studio, what was typically your approach? Did you... Were you doing overdubbing or what kind of instruments were you using or, you know, that kind with, of thing? Um, with Don't Use Coke, um, uh, there was a guy named Tony Bell with Kutchie. He was a reggae artist. Um, so I networked with him back in 90, 88, whatever year yeah. it was. And I had the year, I had the lyrics together by 1992, 93. So I went to his studio. He had like a 32-track um, yeah. studio with multi keyboards and layers and stuff like that. So what I did, I laid down the basic guitar, mm -hmm. the basic lead guitar, and then I put the bass down. And then as far as the keys, we layered in different tracks. Mm -hmm. So when I approached the vocals, I did all the vocals on there. So I did the lead vocal, you know, I was tripping in the hood one day, da 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 da. So my background would be don't use coke, it'll make you choke. That's just the catch. That was the catch right. of the song. And so that was my chorus. But that was a subliminal as well. So I kept it going throughout the song. Mm -hmm. So then I said, uh, uh, drugs cause obsession, possession, violence, and grief. If you use a C-O-C-A-I-N-E system, you see my little brother, sister, go, my little brother, sister, go to school. Don't break the rules. We got to use the love instead of the drugs. And then I came in with a, don't use drugs. Love thy neighbor. Mm -hmm. Keep the peace. Those are my little subliminals throughout the song. And they were different layers. It was like psychological because I sure. had a degree in psychology. So I was using that as a positive uh, sure. subliminal to the uh, track. And it's just amazing. My sister, and my, I saw my niece is 37. Mm -hmm. And she was four years old when I wrote that song. And she still, <laughs> she still remembers the, the uh, lyrics. Of course she does. Well, she's, yeah, probably, so, she's uh, probably proud of you for writing it. You know? And, and, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, interesting um, because uh, so you 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 just slip that in there that you got to do degree in psychology again. Pretty yeah. ama pretty amazing. <laughs> do you mind talking <laughs> talking a little bit about how you got you fit fit that in there and when that yeah. What was where was yeah. that? Where was that? It was in um. Oh, uh, that was a uh, psycho psychology from Aurora University, nineteen. I want to say ninety five, ninety four, because okay. I went to graduate school after that, uh, University of Illinois. Okay. Because I got the rejection letters, man. I got the rejection letters from uh, medical school. Yeah. And it was several of them. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it don't happen overnight. But I got a few rejection letters. I scored well on my MCAT, but still, 
it's a standard that they have to, you know, um, apply as the calculation. Yeah. And um, they weren't letting they weren't letting a lot of minorities in the uh, medical programs at uh, at that yeah. time. So. Well, I, I think it's a, I think it's important that you're talking about this now and that history. And I think even my podcast is not a politics podcast. You know, it's an arts podcast. Uh-huh. That's but right. On my, That's but right. on my podcast, every every everybody's issues come up. Things come up. You know, their 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 personal experience, where they're from, their right. spirit, spiritual beliefs, uh, their education, right. or, or or even in some cases, people. I had a coal miner on my oh, show wow, who was wow. also who was also right. a minister. I've had yeah, all, kinds, yeah, all yeah. kinds of guests. And um, every guest is unique, but, mm-hmm. but but there is this this thing I've noticed of the multi-talented, and I, oh, yeah. I definitely include you. I include you in that in that um, that pan- pantheon of the multi-talented. So when when did you start utilizing? I guess you, you used your psychology, right. I guess knowledge or learning in writing songs and song lyrics for chil- for kids. I think. Yeah, um, one of the things is you know since my background was. In music and gospel, mm-hmm. I used to make uh, one of my first CDs came out in 1990. It was called A Message for You. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I were going through some things, and you know, I wrote a song for her called Come Back. And at that time, she came back, but she ultimately left. It worked. So, um, <laughs> it didn't work. So I, it worked, but like, you know, life happened. So we got divorced, and my kids were going through some things, and I, um, uh, made sure I stayed in their lives as best I can, you know, through the court. So we uh, we did the best we can. They're grown now, but, you know, we um, made a lot of positive efforts. And they um, the, the hardest part was for the kids to suffer. And I never wanted that to happen. So I would always try to take them to baseball games. I had them on baseball teams. They played basketball. They were wrestlers. They played football. I was at, you know, most of their 90% of their games and, and events like that to make sure I stay positive, you know, in their lives when they were young, because that does make a difference um, in their long-term outcomes with them. So they still remember me, and I still talk to them pretty much, you know, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm a grandfather. My uh, oldest son, he's a, he has a four-year-old daughter that I see uh, when I get a chance, but the weather's been bad and mm-hmm. COVID's been bad, so... Did you want to talk but, um, a little bit about COVID? Well, before we get to, to, to COVID-19, do you do you mind going back into your memory bank? And just uh, for, for audiences that don't know, you know, not everybody knows much about what nurses do or what people in a trauma unit have to experience. Do you mind? Oh, yeah. Do you mind? I don't mind at all. Do you mind, mind discussing, discussing, you know, in more detail kind of what a, a Saturday night in, in, in a city or that kind of thing, or what the kind of thing you would be dealing with, and and uh, okay, all right. Well, my my background is ICU, ER, and trauma. So I'm like the type A personality, very very you know fast and aggressive. So I left Loyola in '91. I was a CCU nurse, straight from um, graduate, a new grad. I went there and got the experience on ventilators, um, patients yeah. coming out of uh, open heart surgery. Uh, patients coming out of a uh, cath lab having open heart surgery and stuff like that in their lives depended on me. Right. So to me, I took the critical care route. I took the courses and everything. Mm-hmm. And after orientation, I would get my own patients and their lives was in my hands. So yeah. 
I took that seriously, sure. but not serious enough where it would overwhelm me because I knew at the end of the day I was going home and I wanted to make sure they were, you know, still there alive and breathing mm. when I left. That was my experience at Loyola in critical care. And it was a fast, very fast paced ICU because we get fresh heart attacks, fresh MIs, mm. fresh PPAs, those are thrombolytics that blood break up blood clots in your heart. We got the patients right out of surgery. So that was the type of, uh, you know, stress that was uh, there. But I also exercised on a regular basis and I made sure I wasn't stress-free. Even though I was going through a lot at home, I never brought it to work. Interesting. So when I became a trauma nurse, it was a totally different experience because they say you're not a good nurse, you're not a good trauma nurse. Well, why are you guys keeping me here if I'm not a good nurse. So those were some of the preceptors to get in your head mm-hmm. to try to make you uh, hustle more or take more of a patient load. Um, it was basically a political thing at, at Cook County Hospital, but I learned my skills. Wow. So I know I'm going to learn how to watch this patient who has a thoracotomy or his chest cracked uh, crash open in the front room. I know what I got to do to save this guy's life. When he comes back from wow. surgery, he's going to be on a bunch of ventilators and machines and pacemakers and monitors with his you know, abdomen open, with Montgomery straps just holding his body together. Yeah. I know I have to be on top of that. Sure. So these were young black and Latino kids yeah. that went through that. They were shot in the street. Mm. And when they got to us, man, we had to you know, put them back together. So it was aggressive from one patient to another. I worked night shift. It was very busy. Inner city on Friday nights, we get one patient and then a, another gunshot will come in with a head injury, you know, shot to the head. They come back to surgery, we would have to have an intracranial monitor on them. They're on ventilators and we would have to monitor them so intently because we'd have them on a mannitol drip that would cause the intracranial pressure, the pressure in your brain to go down. Mm-hmm. But if their pressure gets past a certain level, the mannitol that we give them wasn't working, so we would hyperventilate the patient, blow off the carbon dioxide, which causes vasodilation. You have to bring that down to save the patient's life so they won't stroke out for season, and then that would cause their demise. So we had a lot of patients that died like that, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we had a, patient that, a lot of patients that lived. So um, it was stressful, but, you know, I was, you know, I was used to it. You know, we get the patients like that, and... They say, Ratliff, you got these three beds. And I say, okay. And I set up my night. Yeah. And then I would have to do backup um, trauma or front room trauma after that. And then I did that for a while. And then I transferred to the emergency room. It was the same thing without the blood and guts. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, well, now, yeah, we have- now uh, of course, with the year we've all gone through, I guess the spotlight is on that kind of work. And people that are involved in what you're what you're describing. Um, yeah, with um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, that's what I was just going to say. And so, how how does it feel to see you know? I guess um, I don't know renewed attention or or new attention on on such the importance of these kinds of things. And and um, you know, uh, yeah. are there any reflections that you have or things come to mind? about where we are in COVID or, or anything or politics or, you know, or, um, well, I've been an RN 30 years yeah. and, um, trauma is still trauma. 
you know, with the public health crisis of drugs, politics, gangs, and um, uh, poverty, you have the same traumas, actually, because the kids nowadays, they really have to be educated. And uh, first and foremost, they have to love themselves, man. That's the major thing you have to do. You got to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these children don't understand love because they've never seen love because they have parents out there that are drug addicts, crackheads, and mm-hmm. gangbangers that are bringing the money home. And the little sibling, the seven-year-old, doesn't know anything except what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that I did a few years back, I did a, I was in a program with Marsha Aglin. She's the founder of the Impact Family Center on the south side of Chicago. Oh. And um, I uh, I've heard, I've heard gave some of my team. She's, she's great. Yes, so I joined her team a couple years back, and I was teaching guitar lessons for about about two years straight, in between going to medical school, you know, stuff like that. And I taught these children never seen the guitar. Some of them were trying to do chords, never seen the guitar in their lives. So I taught about 35, 40 children how the the sound of an acoustic guitar. I I integrated with my medicine. When I was training, I brought a stethoscope to the program. And I would have each one of the children strum the guitar five or six times, and I would have them put the stethoscope for more acoustics, the stethoscope against the guitar, body of the guitar, so they can actually hear it resonating, the sound resonating to their hearts and to their, their minds to listen how the strings sound on the guitar. So as I get that approach, I opened up the door now for these children to let their guards down because a lot of them were experienced some form of PTSD. You know, I'm not going to diagnose it because I'm not a psychiatrist, but they were going through one, a couple of kids lost their siblings and gun shootings and shootings and stuff like that. So I would help them with the guitar, teach them each string at a time. I would put the notes on the board, yeah. how the chords make music in the general scale, C major scale, and how to apply that on the guitar. So at the end of maybe a month or two, Every last one of those students know how to play the guitar, strum a song, which I taught them a basic song. Mm-hmm. And then um, we got a chance to be on Channel 7, Channel ABC News, okay. Channel 5, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and it really felt, it felt really good because this is something I did when I was a kid. You know, somebody helped me at Malcolm X College when I was 10, 11 years old, oh, yeah. going to these Saturday community classes. Right, and we would jump on a train and go to Malcolm X and learn how to play the guitar and the piano and yeah. stuff like that. So I was giving back, you know, yeah. free of charge. It was it, it was euphoria, man, because it didn't yeah. it didn't cost me anything, and it didn't cost them anything to learn that for life. Yeah, that's 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 really uh, really beautiful. Um, oh yeah, everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, I guess going forward, I'm sure you look at the present and the future and and, and those experiences. Um, do you mind if I ask you a little bit about where you see things well, both 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 things now in terms of the future of, you know, 
you know, everyday, everyday people and maybe turning a corner and improvement, but also your own musical projects, because I know you have a new project, I think with Indigo. Am I right about, right about this? Or? Yeah, I, I just, I just did a recording with a, a, a gospel singer. He's pretty famous, Jesse Campbell. Yep. And, um, I, I reached out to him a few years ago. He was pretty busy on tour and I, uh, his father, um, uh, Bishop Willie Campbell just passed a couple months ago. Mm. So uh, he was in Chicago. I sent out my condolences, you know, to the family and himself. Yeah. And um, I reached out to him. I said, Jesse, you know, I'm working on this song. Mm-hmm. My father just died like your father uh, several months ago. My father just passed. And I got to release this song, man. It's really eating up my soul. So mm. um, I let him know what the song was about. You know, it's a song called God, I'm Sorry. Yeah, you know, and, and I was cut, just letting the, them know, you know. That is the cut I heard. That's the cut that introduced yeah. me to you. If it weren't right, for that song, right. if it weren't for that song, you and I would not be having this conversation right now, <laughs> and you you would not be and you would not be a guest on my show. So, so, so I guess God 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 bless you. You know, Thanks. so it's that song has has power. Anyhow, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to just so no, it's all good. I was working with a young lady named Chawana. She was supposed to be the lead singer of this song, and I informed her that I'm, I'm writing like a duet. Mm-hmm. So um, she got sick um, like the night before we went in the studio. So I, uh, my, my uh, producer, um, John King, he used to be with the Shy Lights for years, I believe, the Shy Lights, Ohio players, one of them, the keyboard player. Oh. And um, he, he reached out to Indigo. He said, hey, Phil, Phil, it's okay. I know a young lady. I said, John, but you know, da, 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 da. So I rewrote the song. And I sent the guitar on him. I sent the guitar to him as well. Uh, and then um, I met Indigo the following week, the following Wednesday, and she had it together. So she recorded her verse, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to make room, because when I wrote it, I had to make room for Jesse when he comes out to uh, do his thing after he did uh, his father's, you know, um, you know, celebration of life and stuff. Yeah. He has eulogy. So um, Jesse came out. Uh, the following week, a couple of days after that, and he just killed it. I mean, they yeah. they blended in perfectly. So it was a great, great connection. And when I wrote the song, I was singing from the heart, mm-hmm. and I was writing from the heart, and they picked they pick it up just like that. And it was just amazing how the songs picked up. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are really touched by it. So I'm uh, I'm honored to have written that song with those guys. Well, I, I'm, I'm one of them. So I, I, I want, I want, oh. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know, when we, when we edit this episode, I, we're going to have that song up front. Uh, oh, that's you know, perfect. If you don't mind. That's perfect. Is there I any, don't mind at all. Is there anything else uh, about music you want to speak about in terms of musical style or blend of influences like, or anything that I, comes to mind? Well, I like jazz. I like jazz. Like, I, I, I like your style because I, when I study classical and jazz at Triton, that's the style that you have. Mm-hmm. I, as far as I, my, my style, I like George Benson, Libre oh. Now and all them guys. I like their style, but on the guitar, I don't want to go as fast as they are because <laughs> I want my stuff to come out right. because I mix a lot of vocals in there. So I don't want to overdo guitar. Yeah. You know, overdo the music, you know, so like simple music and the, and the message has to be strong. Yeah. And I put a lot of, I put a lot of subliminals in my song because, you know, like I said, with God, I'm sorry, you know, I, I did not honor you, you know, and, and then I said, you know, touch me with your hand and heal me. That yeah. was in my song. So I want to put in my jazz, I want, and I want that kind of message to go through and resonate, yeah. you know, throughout the song, you know. 
Um, well, you, you mentioned you mentioned George Benson. I think the greatest band ever was his band of the seventies with Ronnie Foster. Oh yeah, you know the yeah, band I'm talking yeah. about. Jorge Dalto, two keyboards. I love that. Anything yeah, with two yeah. piano players in it is is okay by me. So yeah, that they that, say uh, the neon lights are bright on Broadway. Yeah, I remember when he first came out in '77, wasn't it? Yep. On Broadway, yeah, I remember when he first came out. I was trying to play a song. And I didn't do it. <laughs> that's, weekend, that's, week, that's weekend in LA. Yes, weekend in LA. That's right. That's yeah. right. But I think that 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 kind of music. I'm sure that's it. I can hear that that's influenced you a little bit in terms of you know the the style and the the sensibility. Definitely, definitely. George Benson and I. I mean, as far as jazz, but I mean blues. Like I said, uh, BB King and, and um, I'm sorry. Um, all the other artists that, you know, preceded me, I tried to take a little bit of each one of their styles. And um, I'm not the new generation, but the guys that are doing music now, I don't really identify it as real music because it's a lot, a lot of technical, you know, stuff like that with the beats and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the young generation, my son is a uh, sophomore in college. He's a football player. Oh. And um, he plays the guitar better than me. He's wow. a first chair of trumpet player as well. And, um, I mean, he's come up in orchestras, you know, be the church and the school, yeah. stuff like that. But I told him to put that in your back pocket, you know, because you may need that one day. And um, he's like I said, he plays trumpet, he plays piano, but mm-hmm. I, put that in your pocket because you may have to apply that one day. And, you know, lo and behold, he's playing for the other students at the school when he gets a chance. So yeah. I said, you know, that, that might take off. But yeah, music is evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, one style thirty years ago is coming back again because they do a lot of sampling now. Yeah, you know, of other artists. You know, yep. so um, but the root of the real music is, you know, like yourself, man. You get up there, you can play that piano and you make it talk. Yep. And I can feel what you're saying. You know, I can feel what you're saying on the piano because well, it, it has a, a, a meaning. A lot of it is just you know practice and hard work and having. You know, having good teachers, you know, and, and um, is important. Right, um, definitely. I, um, but I wanted to also get back to where you see, you see hope. If, if you do see hope for kids and the things you're talking about, you know. Um, oh, I definitely see hope with, um, once this COVID gets by, because I got my vaccine a couple weeks ago, once we can convince the people, you know, to get the COVID vaccination, that'll open up a lot more things into normality. Mm-hmm. But as far as hope is concerned, like they got the Chicago schools closing and opening, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that'll all resolve. But the children nowadays, you know, they need mentors like yourself and myself to just keep them encouraged, you know, because uh, evil's going to always be around, but God always prevails, man. And I think that wholeheartedly because you know, I mean that's one of the reasons I'm here yep. you know I could have died 48 years ago of that's cancer right. and I would have been a no name and nobody but God was in my life you know and pulled me through that mm-hmm. you know and now I'm saving lives you know um, as an RN and I just finished medical school and I definitely gonna make a contribu- contribution as a physician you know if I continue with psychiatry or emergency medicine I think I'm gonna make a great contribution you know, to society to encourage these children, you know, to um, to keep on going, you know, don't give up hope. 
so you, know, you, so you, have, have, you have a, uh, some more stuff in front of you, it sounds like. You have plans. Now it sounds like you have plans yeah. to, uh, for ch- a change in your career. Yes, um, I finished medical school a couple years back. We were supposed to have our graduation last year, and um, COVID stopped that. <laughs> wow. So right now I'm writing a, for my board. But what a beautiful time to, to get that degree. I mean, there's a there's a yeah. there's a there's a real uh, almost a spiritual um, meaning to that, don't you think? A little bit. I think so. I think so. With me, you know, I'm I'm getting up there. I'm in my fifties, and I okay. I just love life, man. I love life, and even as an RN, I just projected that onto my patients. You know, I gave them hope. A, you know, even if they had cancer, um, one of my patients, I was crazy about her about three years ago at the county when I was a nurse at the county. And um, uh, she was just joking with me, you know, and I was really moved by her. And then the next week I came, uh, one of the attendings that I was working with, she told me the patient passed that weekend. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I felt really bad, but I felt good because I helped her Mm -hmm. make that transition because I gave her some encouragement and, you know, and I, I talked to her from the heart, you know, and that's, a lot of people out there are in pain. You know, you have yeah. to try to understand that. A lot yeah. of people are in pain, but you have to encourage them, yeah. you know, um, that there's, you know, there's God and there's uh, whatever piety you have, you know, whatever religion you have, we respect that. Yeah. But you also, I encourage them to look beyond, you know, what's going on now. There's a, it's a brighter day, you yeah. know, it's going to be a brighter day. So, uh, that's what that's part of my philosophy, man. It's going to be a brighter day. So. That makes me very happy to hear that because I, 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 I trust you. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I think that I think uh, I'm gonna go along with you. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think that you're right about that. Yes, um, yes, sir. yes, sir. Um, I, uh, is there anything else you want to come to your mind that you want to talk about that's on your you know, urgent or could be about <clears throat> anything music or your life experience? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, one of my experience, I was a police officer as well for uh, 15 years. Uh, I was a yeah, Bellwood cop. I went through the academy. All this is going on at once, so I said, as well. <laughs> I went through the academy, and uh, I wanted to make a difference to the community. Sure. So I was a Bellwood police officer, and um, I was a basketball coach for the community with Chief Greg Moore. Uh, we wow. did uh, weekly, almost daily basketball uh, tournaments on the basketball court. And then I went over to Memorial Park Police Department because we had a little more jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So as a part-timer, I couldn't be full-time because I was over 37. That was the cutoff. So I uh, went to Moraine Valley for the police academy, did very well, got straight A's in the program. Yeah. And I came back to try to make a difference. And um, but, but police is real, too, now. You know, oh, it's yeah. just like nursing. You know, it's just like any field that has a socialization um, mm. entity to it because I was communicating with these children, mm-hmm. you know, to better themselves. And you saw me in uniform, mm-hmm. but at the next day or the next night, I was at an armed robbery, mm. you know, and I was at a scene where there's a shooting or something like that, even though I was part time, you know, my life was on the line, but I still got that euphoria, man. I got that drive to do that. Yeah. And, um, a lot of our officers were going through a lot of stress because it's an emotional uh, thing. But I was stable, man. I had God, you know. I didn't have no problem with it, and I would, you know, talk to other officers to just keep them on the um, on the up and ups, you know, because it was stressful. You know, we had officers that died. We had officers that quit. We had officers that, you know, um, you know, 
unforeseen circumstances, but I would try to encourage them when I was there. And some of them are still my friends. A couple of the chief of police are there, are still my friends. And they, they're following me now on my music, uh, my music and medicine journey. So well, that's good. That's great to see. <laughs> I'm sure you have some thoughts on the public conversation about police and, and police injustice and violence and um, and all that. Yeah, my um, well, per- not personalizing, but depersonalizing is one thing you learn as a police officer because there's so many things. But the George Floyd uh, incident really crushed me because we did not learn that. That's not part of the gold standards or the the um um. Uh, formulations that we use as police officers uh, to put your knee in somebody's neck. We do learn techniques to put your knee on their shoulder or their clavicle to hold them down because that's a that's a lever lever technique, like one of the um, just to keep them uh, in position. And then you could cuff them and then you let them go. So that George Floyd thing was a hundred percent wrong, you know. And um, oh, once you course. get them cuffed, end of story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that, yeah. that goes without saying. I mean that's a that's a tragedy that's gonna that's like a, that's some, that's a that's going to be on our minds and hearts for a long time. To, you know, trying to right. I um wit- I witnessed the destruction, and like I said, the children nowadays in, in in the city around the world don't know how to deal with situations like that. That was very traumatic. And that was the breaking point because me, when I was a young kid in the 60s, Martin Luther King got killed. Mm. And I remember what happened to Chicago. Mm. I was six years old or seven years old. And I remember the fires and stuff like that. And, you know, the pain still lived through our parents. Mm. The pain still lived through our grandparents because they were there witnessing what happened to this leader that was going to make a difference to the African-American or people of color, the community at large. So when this happened, I understood why the people reacted that way. I didn't support what they did, but I definitely understood it. Mm -hmm. Because before I became a cop, I was taught the N-word about a thousand times by colleagues, future colleagues, when I was a teenager. And then I became a police officer. And then you would see behind the doors how they really felt. Mm-hmm. But I, was that, I wasn't that N-word anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a police officer. So I'm on the same level. And that's why a lot of African-Americans and Latinos fear the police because behind the scenes, it's a totally different entity in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now they have transparency. They have programs to de-escalate mm-hmm. uh, mental illness patients because yeah. the officers or police officers used to, sh- to shoot them and tase them because it's called suicide by cop where somebody might have a knife that has a psychiatric illness, um, depression, schizophrenia, anything bipolar, and they're going through a crisis and that the police officers were not trained to deal with that anywhere. So now they have ministers or priests on board. They have mental health teams on board to interact with these people to prevent officers from overreacting Mm. because the you know, what we're trained to do, and I got to be honest with you, um, Mitch, we're trained to kill. You know, we're trained to, we're trained to shoot and kill. We're not, trying, we're not trained to shoot and lame. A lot of people say you should shoot in the leg, you shoot in the arm. Well, if somebody has a knife or a gun and they make a furtive move, it's called, you have to do what you have to do to stop sure. them or detain them with, with, uh, with violence. And that's sure. the unfortunate part. 
I mean, it is unfortunate. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm somebody who, you know, I, 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 I tend to be kind of a, I don't know what the word is. I don't say moderate, but I tend to see many sides of things. Right. And I, and right, I, I, right. under, I also understand, you know, I had a conversation with um, the filmmaker Charles Burnett, who did um, to, sleep mm. with, to Sleep With Anger. Remember that movie? Um, oh, vaguely. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had a conversation with him about having to shoot movies in Watts in the 70s. Yeah. He was, he yeah, was shooting yeah. on location in Watts. And um, he really enjoyed that. But he says one thing he noticed was the was the prevalence of drugs. And yeah, and he was course. convinced this was like an invading force. It didn't seem right. normal to him that right. the, these things were coming in. And he, he thought it was, you know, he really took note of that. In, in the interview, right. when I talked to him. He said, this is this is being somebody's somebody's behind this, I guess, is how he put it or, or, or you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so what are, well, one of the things with the drugs and stuff like that, you know, since I was a shorty, drugs have been around. Now marijuana is legal and um, that's how they, you know, survive. You know, I go through this every day when I come home from work, people up and down Madison Avenue um, selling marijuana openly, you know, now that it's legal and they, um, they're still using the drugs. They're still using the heroin with fentanyl lace to it. Yeah. We're still getting uh, five deaths a week or more. You know, it's on the television. I think, and this is me personalizing, I think one of the reasons, you know, that we do this is because there's no escape uh, from the community that you're, you're brought up in. But a lot of these kids have to get educated, mm-hmm. you know. And once Chicago public schools start opening up again, I think that's going to be a big deterrent. They, they were trying to vote the police officers out of the uh, schools. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bad decision only because the gangs are in there as well. So, you know, you kind of got to balance the books here. You know, you, yeah. matter of fact, I'm watching it right now, the Kenosha police officers oh, yeah. on TV. I'm watching the news right now. I think that situation with the gentleman as a police officer, I would have shot him. And a lot of people don't like that, what I say, but I got to protect my life. Yeah. This guy had a knife in his hand. They showed the video and they played the 911 call and everybody shut up. You see that? They played it right away. Yeah. They showed him with a knife in his hand. He walked to his car and he grabbed at something to turn around the shoot to stab the police officer. What is he going to do? He has to protect himself. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, so it, it, me, it's just a, it's just oh, a, it's just a reality that there there is evil in the world and there are people who yeah. as you know there are people who who predate, predate, predate Victimize yeah. their communities and in their own families, and often too, you know. That's, that's, that's and this right. is a that's continual right. problem, and you know, society has to have some some means of 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 rem, you know meeting those challenges, I guess. And it's, just, it's right. a difficult. It's a difficult. You know, it, you know, if, if people are forming gains and extortion and taking money from people yeah. and and selling right. heroin. You know, uh, in, in where people live, that's going to have repercussions, and and, and you right. know, that's um, and it's not, it sounds like you've 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 um experienced all of this. Uh, um, you've you've uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you um, I've, you know what's going on. I mean, to have worked in in medical, you know, in drama yeah. units and worked in police departments and in music, right? You know, you, you know what's going on. <laughs> 
So, but, well, I mean, you know, I still have friends that are, you know, get former gang bangers and oh, that's interesting. drug dealers. They're all old men now. <laughs> yeah. They're all old men now, and the gangs that they were in don't even exist. Oh, that's interesting. But they still know. They still know me. They call me Rat. My nickname is Rat from the streets, and yeah. um, I, I look at them, and I, mm-hmm. I just, I'm just. I'm still their friends, you know? Nothing's changed. I'm still their friend. I still love them because we came up together. We grew up in the streets together. Sure. So I'm no better than you than you're than me, you know? Absolutely. But I just have a career. Yeah. You know, that's my career in medicine. That's my career as a cop. Mm -hmm. They know I was a cop. They still say you're still a cop. Say, no, man, I retired. No, you're still a cop. I'm still your friend. How about that? And that's what they can you know associate with. Yeah, you know, and and not to change, you know, my personality because I'm jovial. Yeah. I'm very happy. I'm just as aggressive as I used to be. Yeah, but I'm still their friend. I still love them. Sure. You know, and you know, you can see it in their eyes. I can go to the store mm-hmm. on the west side, south side, because I did home health nursing for 25 years. Mm. They still remember me. Hey, doc, you still? Yeah, I'm still. Hey, doc, you still work at the jail? Like who is this guy? No, I stopped going there in '95. Look, People who remember me when I was a nurse at the jail for four years, they still remember that person. I would play ball in the yard with the inmates and lift weights. I didn't care. You know, I'm out there playing with my family. So, yeah. you know, well, he, hearing, they had a, hearing you talk about all this, when this when this virus lifts, I'm going to come visit you in Chicago and um, <laughs> we got we to gotta hang out and maybe even play music together or do something. Definitely. You know? Definitely, um, man. We because, definitely will. Yeah, we got to do that. And I guess you know, God willing. And, and, um, yeah, we, we will, we will plan on that. Um, I definitely will. I'll be available. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your life on, on, on my podcast. And it means, oh yeah, anytime. Um, so I hate saying goodbye, but as it comes a time in all communications, <laughs> when you got to say goodbye, is there anything you want to add to the audience or that you want to say before you go? I just, uh, basically, I want to just put it out there. Keep the faith, man. You know, everybody's going through the same crisis. You got to put your trust in God. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you have to push every day, man. Tell your family you love them. Mm-hmm. Tell your children you love them every day. Tell your mother, if she's still on earth, you love her immensely. Tell your brother, not my brother biologically, but tell your brother next to you, mm-hmm. you love them. But my shout outs to my family, yeah. uh, my producer, John King. And can I put some shout outs there? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's John King, point. my producer from, uh, John King, my producer from, uh, God, I'm sorry, um, um, uh, Christy Tate from Chicago Med. She's my actress in my videos. Um, some of my uh, closest friends, Ryan Davis, uh, Bill Winston Ministries. Reverend uh, Sykes, uh, my Masonic Temple when I used to be a Mason, 941. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I just got my, like I said, my entire family, Dr. Borges Sawyer, Dr. Uh, Robert Jordan, who's my pediatric doctor uh, that I trained with, uh, Drew Sador, she's an actress, uh, Allison Jordan, my uh, medical school, IUHS School of Medicine, that were behind me since day one. And uh, Paige Stewart and Dr. Andrew Mary. Wow. I'm almost done here. My sons, Ryan, Andrew, and Joshua Ratliff, Captain Mama, Jody the Mama, Baby Mama, <laughs> Dan yeah. Brown from B103, Tiffany Mitchell, James Perkins, um, 
Kevon Smith from Island Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, I got a couple more. Let's see, James Hamilton, he's a friend of mine, did my first CD with me. The late Billy Davenport from the Paul Battlefield Blues Band, yeah. Mike Wallace, Clyde Davis, Lamar Jones, Joe Thomas. If I can't fit all these guys in, Swan, Paris Holly, Chichi Cotton, my video, Impact Family Center, Marsha Eaglin, Matthew, the First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, the Reverend Wiley, Marvin Wiley, and that should be the end of my list, my man. I appreciate everything you you've done. You could have for said me. more names if you wanted to, but that's a that's a that's a. <laughs> That's a good list. I yeah. some familiar familiar names in there, and um, I, I want to thank you, <laughs> thank you, Doctor Ratley, for uh, for this conversation. And uh, thank you very much. It's an honor, man. Thank you. I will see you. Bye bye. Right, have a great one. God bless. Bye bye. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.